My name is Jamie Keach, and you're listening to the Resource Insider Podcast, where we talk to CEOs, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in the mining and metals industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Resource Insider Podcast. It is the Roundup Conference this week in Vancouver, and I am running around like crazy trying to meet and talk to as many CEOs, uh, companies, geologists as I can for our Resource Insider service, and we're looking for some of the best deals that we can find out there. But in the meantime, I was able to sit down for about an hour and chat with one of the most captivating, interesting, uh, and really visionary uh, young leaders in the space that I've met. It's a gentleman named Steve DeJong. He's only 35 years old, but he's already done more than many, many, many mining executives will do in their entire career. He was the CEO of Integra Gold Corp., which was sold to El Dorado for $590 million. He came in at the rather tender age of 28 and saw that through. Uh, He has since uh, launched Integra Resources, a gold project in Nevada, with his partner, George Salamis. In this event, um, Steve is the chairman and George is the CEO, so a reversal of roles that they had at the previous Integra. But the majority of Steve's time today, which he would say is 80 or 90%, is focused on another company, a tech company, where he is the CEO and one of the founders, and it is called Verify, V-R-I-F-Y. Verify is really cool. Um, They are focused on providing transparency, uh, interconnectivity, and information that the mining space is, in my opinion, very badly lacking. Uh, It is becoming a really excellent tool for both uh, companies, of course, but also retail investors and institutional investors. And what Verify is really focused on at the moment is putting together virtual site tours for mining companies. They're also providing a lot of information that investors need to make good decisions. And this is a lot of information that you know professional investors, that fund managers, that bankers, that they get access to that a lot of people at home do not. And so it's going to be a really powerful tool, I think, over the coming years for investors of all stripes. But we really get into that a lot in this conversation about what Verify is, why Steve took a step from being a mining CEO to the CEO of a tech company, why he thinks that's such an important uh, important role in the industry right now. And, and why he has spent so much time focusing on this part of the sector. He is one of the uh, minds behind the Disrupt Mining Challenge, which challenges entrepreneurs and teams to to really come up with ways that technology can be utilized to disrupt the space and to provide value to the industry. And it's something that desperately needs to be done. Those of you out there who are familiar with the mining space know that we are miles and miles and miles behind almost everybody else when it comes to effectively applying technology. And this is a really interesting role and there's a lot of opportunity. And Steve is one of the first people that I've met who's really gone out to to grasp that. So we talk about 
you know, what it's like to be a young leader in the space, what advice Steve has for both investors who are looking at new and interesting projects and interesting ways to apply capital, but also, you know, young entrepreneurs, young geologists and mining professionals, how they can go out and do their own thing and, and really take advantage of a changing environment. I had a excellent time talking to Steve today. I think this podcast will add a lot of value for anyone that's looking for a slightly different perspective from what we what we normally hear uh, in the industry and a really visionary view on where the industry is going to be going over the coming decade and really the potential there. So without further ado, let me please introduce the CEO of Averify, Steve DeJong. Steve, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So we're sitting here in your office in Vancouver, uh, which is a bit of a hellhole at the moment because you guys are moving at the end of the week. Um, where are you guys headed? We are we are growing. Uh, we're moving two blocks away. It's going to seem like a long distance because we really enjoy spending time with all the other companies in this office as well. But we've gone from sort of three employees to about 20 and on our way to 40. So we need some more space. Okay. So for those listeners out there, we're recording this uh, podcast in Vancouver during the week of Roundup. So there's a lot of mining CEOs in town. There's a lot of investors in town. Everyone's pretty busy. Um, Steve's taking a bit of time out of his day to, to have a chat with us. Steve, for people who haven't heard of you, who haven't heard of Integra, haven't heard of Verify, can you give us the you know one paragraph, 30,000 foot view of, of what that is? So I've, I've started in the industry about 10, 10 11 years ago. Um, Actually started in, in investor relations, kind of business development, worked up in that aspect. And after about five years, had the opportunity to join a really, um, just a small exploration company, about a $10 million company, um, took on an executive position and was very fortunate that that company was called Integra Gold, very fortunate in an early time of my career to actually be involved in a company that would go through not just exploration, but through development um, and eventually into construction. And uh, that company or that project's about two weeks away from declaring commercial production. So my, my background in the industry, even though I'm now running a, a technology company called Verify, my background in the industry is is really kind of being the CEO of a company that essentially went from a $10 million market cap to um, a $600 million acquisition. And I've been very fortunate at an early point in my career to see a lot of different parts of the life cycle of a mining company. And Within that, I think there is absolutely, absolutely incredible opportunity to um, change what we do as, as a sector. Sorry, I'm getting too far ahead. Yeah, no, the, and we're gonna this. we're gonna get into all those. So things. I have ten years yeah. experience, and so <laughs> you are you're 35, 36 now. Is that right? Uh, Thirty five. So I think it's yeah. We should note that when you you went on in an executive role in Tegra, you were what twenty seven, twenty eight, something. You were I think very I was twenty eight at the time. So okay, that's that's a young age. Uh, to be leading a successful company in arguably one of the worst markets ever, uh, you know, Integra, you know, I watched it from the sidelines here be a real success story over the last few years. Let's kind of take a step back and and get and go into how what brought you to the mining industry because you don't come from a traditional background. You're not a technical guy or you're not an accountant that spent years auditing companies. You 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 entered it from a, a business degree. Is that right? Yeah. So I I was. Actually, I was going through and finishing my degree um, 
as sort of when, when I first took a step into the industry, and it was actually a friend of my dad's. So my dad was an RCMP officer who had retired at a young age and kind of started, he was a real entrepreneur and tried a few different things. And a friend of his was, um, that he'd known for a few years was running a, a bunch of exploration companies. So my dad had started to do some work with him, um, more in just kind of a consulting, uh, consulting, he joined a few boards, um, trying to figure out what this industry was all about. Um, and that was, that was my entry point. Um, it was, it was interesting at an early point in my career, I got, I was fortunate enough to work with my dad, which kind of anyone who's ever worked with any family before comes with its kind of ups um, and downs, ups and, ups yeah. and downs. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting because we were both, he had a, a, a few years more experience in the mining kind of the industry side, but obviously a lot more in, in sort of life and management and, and other, yeah. um, other things. But it was interesting because we kind of learned this together. Um, we worked for, both of us were doing some work, myself full time and him doing some consultants. <clears throat> sorry, consulting work for this group of nine exploration companies. And what we found over time is that there was just, there was a real lack of focus within these companies. So um, what we eventually did to long story short is we actually extracted two of those companies from that management group. Um, and then we each took a leadership position um, for these two companies. And one was what's called rogue iron ore. And one was called Integra gold. Yes. Um, and at the time, they were five and nine million dollar companies. So, kind of your micro cap explorer. Um, and my dad actually started with Integra Gold. And after about it was probably a year and a half or two years or so, realized kind of we got into this bull market for gold. He wasn't really looking for a second career. So I jumped over, and that's where I um, that's when I joined Integra Gold. So not your traditional long history of mining. Didn't do engineering or geology in school, but kind of ended up here and, and really enjoyed it. You know, we have a lot of listeners. Um that might follow a similar uh, role as your father. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of success in one career or another, and they've gotten into mining uh, and investing in mining really probably first as a hobby. And then, you know, I've talked to a lot of our subscribers, and for a lot of them it's become a bit of an obsession. And, you know, they love taking big positions in companies and, and getting involved in, in advisory roles or sometimes board roles. Coming from, say, an RCMP background or a new graduate, how did you guys, you know, you, you looked at this basket of nine companies. Like, where did you really look for value there? How did you come into that, um, I guess, not having, you know, the experience of, of run a company before or worked your way up through a company before, but how were you able to identify value there that you wanted to be involved with as a, as a layperson? So a, a big part of it is I, I came to a point, so I guess it would have been maybe three two and a half or three years into it where the market was just, the market was just kind of, um, was really going, we had to create the crash of 08. Then in 09, 10, you, you remember the golds, every, uh, just mining mm -hmm. in general, everything, everything took off. Um, and the companies we were working with weren't reacting to that. They were still sitting there at, at kind of the bottom. And we, we started to kind of dig into this and we realized there was, when you have, for example, you had the same management team for eight different companies. You can imagine right. how much yeah. individual focus there is. And when the investor feedback started to come in as, as everyone else was kind of every other company out there was high, flying high and ours weren't reacting, um, we started to look into it. And, and what we really came to is there's, there's an entire lack of focus in, in, with any one of these individual assets. As much as I'd love to say that Integra Gold, um, which at the time was called Kalahari, so we went through an entire rebranding exercise – as much as I'd like to say we recognize that this was a 100,000-ounce resource that was probably going to turn into 3 million ounces, that wasn't the case. We saw a small, high-grade um, opportunity and, and 
kind of to build it out from there. I think in expiration, you can always look back and pretend that you knew that was coming, but mother nature needs to bless your work as well. So it it was really just seeing the opportunity that I, we, we truly believed that these companies would be better off if we just focused and, and sure there might be a lack of experience there, but if we just focused our entire energy on them. And at the same time, I realized I I personally wasn't that interested in working for nine different companies bouncing around. So you can imagine when once you realize you're ready to quit any day, you become quite um, confident in kind of here's what I think we should do with these two companies. If it doesn't work, that's fine. I'll just I'll walk away. You know, I just did a talk at uh, the VRIC, the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, and it was titled "How You Got Screwed in 2018." And and one of the big points we talked <laughs> about is uh, motivation. And you know, everyone thinks that you know, management teams are trying to find a mine or they're trying to build a mine or they're, you know, trying to grow a company. And very often that's not the case. You know, very often it's, they're in more of a value consumption mode than a value creation mode. They're, you know, they're perhaps running a plethora of companies and sucking the capital out of them and not giving them the time that it needs. And, you know, this kind of goes to my point that I was trying to make is actually finding a management team that is committed and motivated to do what they say they're going to do, be it run an exploration project or build out a mine. Uh, it's it's kind of a rare thing in the industry, having people that are really genuinely focused on a specific goal. It is, and it's, and it's a really tough industry for that too because one of the things we deal with is you as a management team can do everything right, be great stewards of capital and with your time and f- focus on everything else, and there's still a very – there's a much better chance that your project won't work. Yeah, and that's it's a speculative industry, and for the most part, most exploration projects are not going to turn into mines, and that's the reality of it. Um, fortunately, I realized at Integra Gold, our our deposit, and this is by no means we had an incredible exploration team and group of geologists, but we were also blessed with a with a large mineral endowment that just continued to get better and better. Fortunately, we never had to deal with that saying no. And yeah. I, I completely agree with and what you're saying. Yeah. The, the hardest part, it, and whether it's walking away or pivoting into some other value creation opportunity um, within the industry, we never had to deal with it. I'd like to think that we would kind of make the right choice if it, if, if it came down to it. But it, it is something that um, it, it makes it very hard to find that correlation between success and a good management team and the actual success stories um, in our industry. Because on the flip side of that, any management team unfocused spending money on whatever they want can hit a big drill hole and <laughs> yeah, yeah, at the yeah. same time so and that's i think that's where it gets really difficult for the i'm not saying you shouldn't invest in good management teams obviously i think it's something that you always have to bring into any investment but at the same time it makes it difficult for any investor looking at our industry it's hard to it's hard to identify totally and i think uh you know on that point we should talk about what are some of the things what are some of the steps you guys took you know you come in CEO of Integra, 28 years old. Uh, you want to create a focus on that that perhaps had been missing previously. What are the, some of the steps you took um, to give that project the attention that it deserved? And you know, this is something I think that other investors can can look for and to talk to other management teams about about how they're actually approaching this and the steps they're taking to to to, to manage it correctly. Yeah. Um, I. So one thing is, as we go through it, I will always give full credit where it's due. And, and the, the, the success of Integra Gold was not any one individual person. <clears throat> um, when I started, we had one employee in Quebec. He was our senior VP of exploration. 
Um, and he brought, he was he's a 30-year vet in the industry, um, and he brought that level of experience that we needed. And um, we kind of, he started actually a few months before me, but around that same time as we were trying to build out our presence in Valdor. And one of the things that he brought is not only kind of whipping the entire team into shape, but he also brought this, um, he, he very much believed in consultation and kind of engaging the community. And at a time, we're just an exploration company. It's not that normal to go and start that whole community consultation process and everything else so and i I gave a um a talk earlier today um at the roundup conference about just sort of it was innovation technology but also how that impacts the consultation process be it with communities or indigenous groups or environmental groups or regulators whoever it may be and i think a big part of our success because we turned out to have one of those projects that eventually would would actually become a mine was because we started and we and we fostered this culture of uh, engagement right out of the gate. So when our first drills were turning, we were starting we were starting community groups, and we were very close. We were just a few kilometers away from the city of Eldor, so it was important for us to do. But we were able to get in front of um, a lot of the issues that I think really bogged down companies down the road. Um, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is companies should not be building their business plan on, I'm going to sell it or build it. To me, you should be building your plan on, this is going to turn into a mine whether it's me that does it or someone else, there are a lot of steps, again, going back to the community engagement and um, that consultation process that you should be doing regardless. And what happens in our sector quite a bit is if you've got that attitude, I'm going to sell it. And there's nothing wrong with that, that attitude. We sold our project, but you tend to maybe not spend as much time or energy on some of those important kind of foundational steps that are actually going to be important if anyone's going to realize success in this project in the future. I think, okay, I think this is a point we should highlight, uh, and it's something I've kind of drummed on about in the past. How much did you guys spend at Integra before you sold it? So we, in 2012, uh, the market cap of the company was $12 million. Um, the price of gold was 1900 it, it was kind of, city, it had just peaked, I think it was October of 2012. We mm-hmm. saw that last run up. Um, we raised and spent um, just over $150 million dollars. Um, fortunately, our market cap grew, so we didn't have to just raise that all at a ten million dollar valuation. Yeah, um, and then we and for the most part, that was expiration, and then into more development, building declines and buying equipment and, and so on. Um, and then the final acquisition price was five hundred ninety million dollars. Now, what percentage of that one hundred fifty million that you spent would you say? <clears throat> went into community consultation and, and social license and, so, and that softer side? You know, it's really interesting. After my talk this morning, I was asked the exact same question because I gave, I, I, I was essentially trying to make the point that you need to start this earlier than most people think. And the question was asked, well, how much of our budget should allocate to it? To, to be honest, it was actually a very small portion of our budget because we ran it internally. And I, I don't think consultation is something we just throw money at. I think you have to sit down and put yourself in the chair or in the seat of the person on the other side of the table, be it a, a, someone from the community or uh, an indigenous group, whoever it may be, and you need to think. And more often than not, just you need to have a conversation. You don't need to go spend a bunch of money. And oftentimes there are kind of, you will, but for the most part, it's not a financial exercise at the, at the early step. It's just identifying who that is. Um, keep all this in mind we were working on an impact and mindset. So we weren't trying right. to permit a brand new area. So I can't speak to kind of, if you're on a, if you're in a grassroots program with five different bands that have um, some sort of uh, ownership over that area, you're probably going to have to spend a lot of money just understanding the lay of the land prior to 
involving yourself in that. Yeah. But I think to me, it's not as easy as just saying 5% of our expiration budget needs to be spent on this. You need to foster a culture of engagement, um, and that's where you'll find success. And, I mean, the point I was trying to make is often you see these things. I mean, companies that do it right, uh, it provides such an outsized value to what they totally. end up spending. We had a, a guest on here named Donald Bray. He's an uh, anthropologist. He's worked in Afghanistan with the U.S. military. Now he consults to mining and oil and gas companies. And he's often brought in, he was saying, after something goes wrong in yeah. an area. And, you know, these, these oil and gas companies get shut down for a month or two and and they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, they're, they're paying him a, a fraction of a percentage of that. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's such an, there's, there's so many companies out there willing to spend money and take risks on geological risk. Yeah. And so few are able to put in that time and energy and forethought into the, the social risks as Completely. well. Completely. And, and we need to move away from this um, ticking the box exercise where we just look at consultation as, well, let's tick the box. I, I spoke to this person. I can tick that box and so on. And we actually have to approach it much more from a who is the human on the other side of this or, or what is that relationship and how do we how do we – how do we build that out where we're not just sitting here with a spreadsheet or we've hired a consultant to do it for us saying speak with kind of group a once every three months or whatever it may be. Um, what we found in, in Valdor specifically, because we had an impact in mindset, when we first spoke to the, um, the Lac Simon band, it was almost this, well, what are you doing here? That, that thing's been a mind for a long time. Why are you consulting with us? And, and to be honest, we probably could have walked away at that point and never dealt with anything. But we took this approach, well, let's keep a dialogue going because if we're here hiring 300 people in the next two years and creating a lot of value for the local economy, like there's an opportunity for us to, to help you and support you. Let's, let's walk through it. So I'm a big believer we just need to be a little less robotic in, in how we approach that consultation process. So you, you built out the team that you needed there. You, uh, you know, took this consultation process pretty seriously. Uh, before we started uh, this interview, we were just chatting with a mentor of yours, uh, George Salamis. He's now, he was the, the executive chairman of Integra. So how did, how did that relationship work? Uh, and, you know, what was the importance of that in your own personal development in Integra and, and what you've gone on to do? So if... if- uh, I'm sure at some point you'll probably have George on here. He'll take full credit for everything. So I'm gonna <laughs> give you my side of the story. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I've been really fortunate to work with people like George. Um, the other the other guy I mentioned was Hervé Thibodeau. Um Hervé and George used to work together, and George's first job out of school was working uh, with Hervé at the Sigma Mill, which okay. was which was a mill that we would or, or at the Sigma Mine, sorry, which was a mine that Integra would eventually acquire. So I was introduced through George through. Um, uh, an associate of his, and then through through Hervé as well. Um, and it was early on in this Integra, um, uh, it was early on in the, in the Integra life cycle. And I was very fortunate sitting as a younger person in the CEO role to have an executive chairman. Um, we very much treated it as kind of co-CEOs yeah. in a lot of way. Um, not to get into the human side of it, but I'm a big believer that any successful organization, um, you need to be able to keep your ego in check and so on. And, and I was fortunate to work with George where we, I, I think we approached everything as not mine or yours, but kind of we together. And this isn't just George and myself. This is an entire management team where we all together were, were taking credit and um, pushing the company forward. So it was very much when you're, when you're able to build that that team, it, it sounds so simple in nature, but when you're able to build that that um, camaraderie between your executives, people see that and, and investors and, and other 
um, potential hires or whatever that may be, may be they're attracted to that. Um, George has uh, a lot more experience in the industry than, than I do. So um, going into a lot of these discussions, for me to have somebody kind of sitting in a seat beside me that we could always kind of see the world the same page, we're, yeah. we're, we're both on Integra gold side of the table, um, I, I think it really helped my learning curve. Um, in the CEO spot, I ended up getting a lot of credit for a lot of the work that, that George did. So when we started Integra Resources, um, I'm the chairman. George is the uh, George is the CEO. So it's been fun. It's earlier stage, but it's it's been a lot of fun to kind of switch those roles at well. Is the well. is the day to day is the day to day responsibility significantly different? Or like, are you guys still doing sort of the same thing, I, having the same? I I think at Integra, I would say at Integra Gold, it was almost it was essentially fifty fifty in how we split the responsibilities. Yeah. And this was a company by the end that had a $100 million a year budget and uh, big drill programs and, yep. and all kinds of engineering studies and permitting and so on. Um, Integra Resources, just being earlier stage, um, it's, even though it's quite a bit more advanced than when we started with Integra Gold, uh, it's definitely not the same. And, and kind of George and I have started an, another venture, which I'm sure we'll talk about. It's a private technology company. So it's it's our time is almost spent kind of more... My time personally is more 90-10, 80-20, and not in a day-to-day role so much with Integra, but supporting in the marketing and then always kind of there for the strategic discussions with George. Um, And then George's time is almost um, entirely with Integra Resources. So for those listeners who are not familiar with this story, we should probably clarify. Uh, Steve's first company was Integra Gold Corp. It was focused uh, in Quebec. And now the one that him and George are running now and, and, and have started more recently is Integra Resources, which is focused on gold in Nevada. Yeah, thank you for that. <clears throat> we tried to carry the Integra brand across. Yeah. We often have to explain it's not a, one, it's not a spin out of the other. Uh, Integra Resources is a completely separate company that we started about four months after the acquisition of Integra Gold. So what I want to talk about before we talk to, more about Integra Resources is the Integra Gold Rush Challenge. Uh, what that is, you know, where you guys got the idea of that, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk a lot about how that has led to other uh, endeavors and opportunities that have come up. So the the Integra Gold Rush Challenge was was something that um, I, I'll give full credit to Rob McEwen and the Gold Corp team. They did the Gold Corp Challenge uh, about 15 years prior to us, and it was essentially a, a crowdsourced exploration competition. Take our data, do what you want with it, and tell us where we should drill to find some gold. Um, in 2014, we made an acquisition. We acquired the old Sigma Mill, which was sitting adjacent to our property. It was a an asset, or it was a processing facility that uh, produced for years and years, and been shut down about five years prior. Um, and with it, we got the old Sigma Mine and Lamac Mine um, properties as well. And those were both big four and a half. They were four and a half million ounce deposits each. Or, or mine, sorry, that had been mined out, one by Tech and one by Placer Dome. Mm-hmm. Now, we made this acquisition entirely for the um, milling infrastructure. We didn't actually care that much about the old mine workings. Um, we needed the milling infrastructure. We got a, a great deal on it. Um, it was We figured it was about $100 million in, in infrastructure. We paid $7 million, and only two of that was cash. The next day, we turned around and sold a million dollars of the waste rock to a construction company. So it, it, net-net, we, we ended up being about $900,000 um, 
cash outlay on, yeah. on this asset, yeah. which some of the beauties of a bear market, it, the oh, opportunities exactly. that come the, out, yeah. the best opportunities out there. But we were, we were fortunate because we weren't buying it to, to try and put these old exhausted mines back into production. Right. We were buying it because it was two kilometers away from our high grade discovery. Um, within that, at this time, we, we actually 2014, uh, early 2015, the worst time in the entire market, um, a lot of depressed geologists, geoscientists, mining promoters, every, everybody out there. We actually had the largest exploration program in North America at the time. And our exploration team was going at 120% capacity just to stay on top of the 10 drill rigs we had going. Um, so we didn't have time to look at this big database that we'd acquired and start poking around the old remnant workings for new discoveries. So uh, we sat down as a team and we came up with this concept um, Let's, why don't we crowdsource it? We'll take that database, put it online, and if anyone comes up with any good ideas, they can tell us where to where we should go uh, and drill. So we spent about three quarters of a million dollars just putting this database together. So what does this database look like? Is it, it you know a pile of papers and there were six terabytes of digitized information, but digitized might just mean they scanned yeah, yeah. a 1930s map. So it doesn't actually it's not fully digitized. Um, so we spent about three quarters of a million, three quarters of a million dollars digitizing, uh, properly digitizing th- that work. How and did it, you do that? We had a team. I think there was about fifteen of them at at its peak. Oh god! Uh, just little did, consulting, yeah, for, yeah. A, a, a local consulting firm that brought in a bunch of students and, and just and data others. entry on a mass data scale. Data entry, and the most important part was these two mines that had since been consolidated, Lamac and Sigma. They each produced four and a half million ounces, and they were only. 500 meters apart from each other. Sure, yeah, But yeah. They, were, they were run by Tech and Placer Dome for 60 and 70 years, and they never shared information. So you can imagine... And you it, own the space in between them now as well. well. We, yeah, it's, we, own, <laughs> we, own, we own it all. Yeah. Um, we owned it all, but you, like the databases may as well have been written in Russian and Chinese. Like They were completely different. They used different names for rock types and everything else. Okay. They, yeah, yeah. So we had to we had to first consolidate that and then once we did that we put that um we put a million dollar prize out there for anyone who could look at this data set and tell us where we should use whatever technology or exploration technique you want um to tell us where we should drill for gold. And what was the criteria? Like did they need to have identified a million ounces or was there a or no, just whoever we, honestly, provides we the just best wanted, information. We just wanted bullseyes. Yeah, okay. Um, and we had a team of six PhD geologists that were going to assess their submission. So it wasn't, I shouldn't say we just wanted bullseyes. We needed we needed to understand the methodology right. and, and how you came to that conclusion. Credible targets. You're exactly. For, yeah. Um, and we, had, we were fortunate to get um, a, a number of, of these geologists um, volunteer to be judges. And they had some of them had a deep understanding of the structural controls of the Abitibi Greenstone Belt, where mm-hmm. others were more kind of metallurgy focused or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, but we're, what we're really proud of in, in how we did this, so we ended up with about 1,400 people from 90 countries um, entered this to kind of dig through this data. 1,400. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. it was, and, and then what happened was some of them started creating teams. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of collaboration that took place. Um, we, ultimately, there was about 3,000 pages of expiration targets that we had to sift through. But what we did was instead of just ending it there and saying, okay, thank you, here's the prize for first, here's for second, and so on, at PDAC the following year, what we did was we, we hosted this big finale event. And the five finalists, so we'd worked it down to five finalists, 80% of their score had already been judged, and the final 20% was their ability to pitch it. 
and we did this this gold rush challenge gala we sold tickets we had about 450 people attend um, to investment banks other companies and so on and they had to get up stage we had five like rob McEwen, sean rusen randy smallwood um I think it was Brent Cook and Chantel Gosselin as our five sharks, and we had this Shark Tank-style finale. Right. And they had to get up and pitch it. And we saw a lot of different ideas, but I think one of the things we're most proud of, it, and not only did we bring so much exposure to what we were doing, that, that night we raised $250,000, which we gave back to local charities in Valdor. So we like to look at it as, yes, the outcome. We're, we still don't know if those targets are going to hit or not because the company's not ours, and they're focused on building, a, building the mine. So that exploration plan is still like the jury's still out on whether that the actual technical yeah. side of this, this competition worked. But you can imagine a few months later when we hosted this, this community barbecue and we're handing out 10 and $20,000 checks to all these little charities. Yeah. And we're just a little junior in the area at the time. It was a very rewarding experience the whole way through. And obviously built some serious credit for the, Completely. For the company and the operation. So, so who won? And I mean, so who won and what happened to them afterwards? So uh, I actually just talked to one of them about half an hour ago. Um, just ran into him. It was a, yeah. it was a group of, from the consulting firm SGS Geostat. And they, they use machine learning, virtual reality, yeah. um, built on um, a, a very deep understanding of the geology to come up. And then they visualize their targets in, in, in virtual reality. Um, they came up with first place, or they came up with first place, and again, eighty percent of that was determined ahead of time. It wasn't the fancy yep. presentation with virtual reality. It was it was fundamentally how they came to that conclusion. Um, and of the six PhD geologists that were judges, none of them were machine learning kind of artificial intelligence experts either. So they were able to convince kind of that group that this is very compelling in itself. To be honest, what I was one of the ones I was most excited about was second place was a group of university students. Really, and when you when you're you had we had groups literally from all over the world with with PhDs and teams of computer scientists and it was a group of university students out of Montreal that were able to come up with something and our judges giving that 80% score had no idea who the submission was from as as they went through it they had no idea it was a yeah, university yeah. students they were they were doing um uh, they were going through the entire judging process blind so the university students got up there and pitched this it's a, a 20 year old from Montreal yeah, it was incredible. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's actually interesting to think about. And the other side of this story is the implications that this can have for those people's career, right? I mean, you look at Marco Day is the best example. Yeah. He came second place in the Gold Corp Challenge, exactly. I believe. And he's gone on to buy, to create and sell many successful companies. He runs Oxygen Capital now. He's got a lot of companies, a lot of projects. I mean, and it all started for him out of the Gold Corp Challenge. And yeah. That, that kind of brought him to the attention. And and it was, it was an exciting initiative because here we are – um, what that was 2016. So here we are almost three years later now still talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think it was, it, it really cemented our own reputation as, as sort of a group that, that really believes in innovation and technology. And also disrupt mining has continued to go on. So the following year, we didn't have another data set, but we really, we'd gotten, we were quite good at throwing parties at PDAC at this point. So we, (laughs) valuable skill in the mining industry. Yeah. So we decided we'd do it again. And fortunately, um, Gold Corp, um, put their hand up, and, and they are great stewards of technology and innovation within the, the sector as well. So we partnered together and created Disrupt Mining. And instead of keeping it to one specific data set, Disrupt Mining was give us ideas for potentially disruptive technology that could be applied to any part of the mine 
life cycle, which was a different experience. But we did that Shark Tank style finale. Yeah. Gold Corp put up a lot of the money, and um, it was interesting to see. Going back to your point about the the careers or or sort of the individual people, that's the most exciting part is to talk to those people a year or two later, and learn about how things have changed for them since they got up on that stage and and um, shared their ideas with the entire mining community. So I think this is a good time for us to transition. Uh, you know, we're talking about the role of technology in mining, the evolving role, and how that is going to disrupt how you know exploration is done, operations are done, uh, mineral processing, probably all aspects of that. You have shifted focus uh, from spending the majority of your time working for an exploration and later development company to uh, a technology company called Verify. Uh, so I think we should talk about that and what you guys are doing and the role that you see that playing within the industry in the future and, and what you hope to create out of that. So so Verify is simplistically, it's it's we, we sort of, we initially called it a communication tool, but what we believe Verify truly is, it's the start of an ecosystem where um, is ultimately more transparent companies, investors, everyone's more accountable to their decisions. Um, and what, what we're trying to do is, is use very, very, um, I don't want to say simple technology, but accessible technology to change how uh, mining to start, but eventually under other industries is communicated. Um, what it, what it is, it's, it's, uh, it's an app. Um, it's a website. It's something that lives and breathes on, on an individual company website, but it's essentially, it's an interactive tour of a company's assets. And we use 360 photography and we use 3d modeling in a, in a really almost dumbed down version that anybody can understand to give you a proper understanding of what you're investing in or, um, say you're a stakeholder in a local community, what a community is trying, or sorry, what a mining company is trying to build, whatever th- whatever that may be. It is, Verify is entirely built on our experience at Integra Gold. In the last six months at Integra Gold, prior to being bought, George and myself were both spending two, three weeks a month on the road, sitting in meetings, be it with institutional investors, with analysts, um, with community groups and and towards the end with with big mining companies uh potential acquirers of our asset walking them through our story and what we did was we'd, we'd taken a series of 360 degree panoramic photos of our site because we wanted to instead of being restricted to just the analyst site visits we wanted to show the whole world what we were doing mm-hmm. so as we went into these meetings we'd always have an ipad with us with this kind of very simplistic photographic tour of our site but what we found was we naturally would spend uh, over a few month period. We naturally spend about sixty, seventy percent of the time walking through the site versus doing the traditional page flip. So, what we did was we just took all the slides in our deck and we we put them as little hotspots or information points within this photographic tour of our site, and it completely transformed how we kind of our, our meetings and, and how we went through it. And it was through that really organic process that we realized. The way that we as an industry are presenting information, it doesn't matter who you're presenting it to, is not adequate for kind of what we're actually doing. Like the, the traditional corporate and outdated, deck. Perhaps. Yeah, and it's not to say PowerPoint is up, outdated. That's a, There's a huge role for that. It's more that there are tools that we can use to kind of complement y- your traditional corporate pitch. And it was going through that process. We created this Integra Gold app, and, and there's a, there are a few other components to the app. You could ask IR a question. You could... Take our our cash flow model and put your own your your own assumptions in like gold price and foreign exchange rate and other things. But 
we took a step back and said, well, this experience was great. We've changed how we market Integra Gold, but is it realistic to think that an investor is going to download 500 different apps for every potential investment? Mm-hmm. That's not, there, there is kind of, as special as we all think we are, no investor is actually going to do that. And that's where this, that's where this whole verify concept came from. We, we're going to, we're creating a platform where investors, stakeholders, anyone can go to learn about a company, but also a, a tool that a company can use to sit down and walk you through what is actually so compelling about their story. Since then, we, we've now added on like conferencing features where you can link devices together from all over the world and, and work in a collaborative workspace. And we've added 3D modeling where Integra Resources, which I'm the chairman of, every time Integra Resources puts out um, a new drill hole, um, we update the 3D model and put a link to it so investors can see, is that drill hole actually a step out? Are you just twinning a historic hole? Whatever it may be. And you can see if, if our objective at Verify is to create a standard, you can imagine if every company was held to that standard, and not by regulators, but just by the investing public, you can imagine you'd like to think that much better investing decisions would be made. So when you were initially pitching this idea or rather when you were pitching uh i'm I'm explaining this wrong when you were using uh this initial technology going on your pitches for integra who were the people that you found responded to it most positively or that you think it added immediate value to was it the was it the very sophisticated fund managers with you know technical backgrounds and years in the experience was it more uh you know retail-focused people? Is there an area you saw creating a lot of value or was it really appreciated across the spectrum? It was, it, so I would think it would be more the person who understands what a mindset is supposed to look yeah. like. Um, or I guess you could argue that, well, it should, the most value is going to be the person that's never seen a mindset because then they can have understanding what you're actually doing. Um, it was right across the board. Yeah. I, I'm yet to meet a person that kind of when you talk them through an actual kind of interactive site like that and, and you input your traditional graphs and charts and management slides and, and other thing you you sort of that's still contained within it i'm yet to meet a person that says the traditional 20 page page flip is a better experience yeah no and i mean you know i spend a lot of time talking to retail investors at home often often very educated people very smart people but who don't have a lot of experience in the mining industry and something that you know people will see great drill results uh and something that almost everybody forgets to look at is where they sit within respect to each other. Yeah. Uh, and just it's it's a very obvious thing if you've spent you know decades working in this business. But it's it's hard to conceptualize if you know you're a dentist in Missouri that owns some gold stocks and you want to learn more. You know yeah. how the importance of of, of being and, able to see these things in perspective. And and to be honest, even with the experience of the industry, you don't have enough information. If you have a table that shows kind of here's a GPS coordinate, which yeah. may or may not be included. It says drill hole this hit 10 meters of 12 grams per ton, and this drill hole hit that. Even if you have a plan map that shows where they are in, in relation to each other, you don't know the orientation or so on. And I, I think backing it up a little bit, we need to acknowledge that every person in the world's attention span is shrinking on a daily basis. And it's wrong for us as exploration or mining companies or any investment, not mining, to... to think that we're entitled to more than 90 seconds of any individual person's time. And this is not a millennial phenomenon. This is what technology is doing to us. We, we scan through headlines 
of CNN and if you, or Bloomberg or Fox or whatever whatever news source you read and within the first paragraph there's a link to somewhere else because they're worried they're going to lose your attention and there's three bullet points that explain it we don't we don't deserve we haven't we don't have the ability to keep people in say reading a press release for two or three pages we need to change how we present information and and to me and and I'm a big believer the best way to do it is is simple visualization tools and with that comes a lot of accountability too Whereas that company that really needs a good drill hole, so they just twinned one where there's a historic yeah. hole. Why are we not showing where your drilling is in relation to all the historic results? You have that information. There's no reason. You're, so, so, <clears throat> there's no reason somebody should have to make an investment decision without knowing that information because kind of it's it's there. Well, so you guys have these uh, <laughs> great videos. There's two of them now uh, that are. Uh, you know, they're satirical about the mining industry and a lot of the common traps you see investors fall into or mining promoters, you know, play off. Where did you get the idea to, to do those videos? And we're going to link to them in the show notes. And I highly recommend everyone has a look at them because they're hilarious. So we actually started a list of uh, it was it was off um, a friend of mine. Uh, a friend of mine started or, or did a video that went viral on YouTube, viral. I think it had 300,000 views or so, and it was called Shit Fishermen Say. Okay. And, and it right. was, uh, Lululemon did something that said Shit Yogi Say. So, and this is going back a few years. We came up with a list that Shit Mining Promoters Say. And we had this list kind of sitting with us, and we used to pass around the office. So going way back, um, we kicked the idea around for a long time. and Just as uh, something fun to just do. Just as something fun yeah, to yeah, do. Because yeah. all this stuff you hear, and you catch yourself saying it. We're open in depth, kind of whatever it may be. We all say it. Um, we just we, we came up with this concept. like our, our whole brand and our presence at Verify, we want it to be fun. Um, similar to, I think, what we did with the Integra Gold Rush Challenge and things like that. Like Brand is very important. And I think if we're going to be out there and used as a tool that people use to hold companies accountable and transparent and, and so on... Um, they're going to need to trust us, and to me, there's no kind of there's no better humor than self-deprecating humor. So why don't we kind of poke fun at our industry as a whole? Yeah. I feel like we're allowed to do it because the bulk of my experience and our experience is actually on the industry side, being that person in the room promoting a mining story. Yeah. Um, and to be totally honest, there's so much good material. We, it's almost <laughs> like we, we couldn't not do it. You don't have and, to dig too deep to start finding. Uh, yeah. The yeah, and it's things. it's yeah. just an exercise of, and I'm I'm no expert in in branding or or anything else, but it's an exercise of if we put out a, a very in depth video about what verifies up to, I think it's going to have one tenth the amount of hits that a funny video that people want to share with each other is. So, if I'm an investor at home, I own some mining stocks. I want to own more. How do I use Verify? What do I do? You probably wait about a month. Okay. And the reason being is if you download a Verify app today or go to our website, it's going to feel like you started a satellite shot and you work into drone shots and you mm -hmm. can click into these photos that take you underground and take you through a site. But it's very much this choose-your-own-adventure. Um, it's not really kind of the guided experience. So to me, we actually, even though we've got this phenomenal content, we haven't done that good of a job yet of curating it so to walk you through yeah, and, yeah. and help you achieve ultimately some sort of investment decision. Um, what we're rolling out is, is a completely revamped version at Verify that really takes you through and allows an executive or a company to show you what they want to show you in something that feels a little bit more linear. And the, the way I describe it is think of it more like a hop-on, hop-off bus tour where 
you're on that tour and you can go through, but at any point in time you can jump off and then go poke around and spin, mm-hmm. do your own tour of underground, um, play with a 3D model, see those drill results, but at any point in time you can jump back on, hit play, and walk back through it again. So once we launch that, the best way for you to use it is kind of go to verify.com, download our app, go to if it's a company you're interested in that you know is on Verify, just go to their website and you'll see an embedded um, tour or experience there. That to me is is going to be by far the best way to experience and, and understand the value um, in what we do. Our, our objective at Verify is not to get five or ten percent of companies signed up. It's to get a hundred percent. It's to create a standard that investors look for before they make an investment decision in a company. So, let's let's find the uh, corollary to that question. If I'm a company today, and I want to take advantage of Verify. Why do I do that, and how does it work? Um, if, if you're a company, I, I think eventually one of the reasons, and this is where we really want to take our business, is, is if we're successful at Verified building this ecosystem, you're going to want to be involved with Verified just because of the number of eyeballs or exposure mm-hmm. it's going to get you. We're not there yet. Right now, the value to a company is very much in a new way to present what you do. And it, it, you're not restricted to the to two dimensions anymore. You can use interactive tools to do it. And it's very much built. One thing I always try to stress about Verify is it is not we are not a technology group trying to find applications for our technology within the space. We're very much people with experience in the boardroom on kind of th- that side of it with capital markets or mining and corporate experience that are looking for that are look drawing on our years of experience presenting and what are the, the simple technologies that we can use um, to fix that? So we've grown from, in, in 2018, we went from four companies to now just over 50. Um, and that rate is, is continuing into 2019 now. Um, the best way for a company to use us, to interact with us, um, is really going to be for the next, say, few months as a presentation tool. But on the back of it, we're going to really try hard to build an ecosystem where your verified presentation is reaching a lot more people than traditionally kind of traffic you're getting through your website. So you're really kind of scratching your own itch here that you had when you were at Integra and trying to apply those solutions that worked for you to the industry at whole. Yeah, and completely. And I'm, I'm personally, I'm very fortunate because I get to work alongside George with Integra Resources, which um, I, I is an absolutely is, is an extremely exciting play in itself because it's a, it's an asset that hasn't really been drilled in 30 years yeah um there's a lot of low-hanging fruit so i still get exposure to both the public markets the mining the, the exciting exploration component in a story that i truly believe in and get to as you put it scratch that itch and kind of play in this this world of private technology company as well huh so there's going to be a lot of people listening to this right now whose ears are going to prick up about integral resources what is it that they should know about that uh, Integra Resources is, um, we, we bought this mine from Kinross, and one of the reasons we're able to um, buy this mine or, or get such, what we believe, such a good deal on this mine is because it's an old mine site. They shut down in 1998, but there's a lot of ongoing reclamation work that they've done, and that'll continue on into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, our project in Quebec, we worked alongside Tech because they always had the liability on the project. So when Kinross was looking for somebody to take on this um, to take on this project from them, they wanted somebody. They wanted a group that they believed in had access to capital, 
and had experience with the reclamation side. So we came into this project. Um, we were able to leave a lot of value on the table for our shareholders when, when we acquired it just over a year ago. Um, but the most important part of it is a, an expiration drill rig hasn't really turned on this project since the early 90s. As you know, mid-90s, gold, silver prices really low. They were just trying to keep this thing afloat. And yeah. then 1998, it shut down. So it's, it's by no means a lack of resources, expiration potential. There's a 1.3 million ounce resource sitting there right dead smack in the middle of the site. But at $300 an ounce, it wasn't a profitable sure. mine. Yeah, yeah. What we've done is we've gone out and, and drilled below it. And most importantly, just off to the west. And we're hitting most recently over 100 meters, one intersection over 200 meters um, uh, of mineralized material that's almost double, in, in some cases more than double, the average grade of the existing resource. So it's, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, and I like to think that the Integra team in general were very good at kind of using, leveraging off old data sets and kind of uh, historic information and finding the opportunity within that. Do you guys have any financings coming up or anything if, if investors are interested in this and they want to get into that story? So we actually, as tough as the market's been, yeah. we, are, are, we IPO'd um, about a year and a half ago. It was an $0.85 cent financing. Um, it's been a tough year. We just finished an $0.80 cent financing. So sort of, I guess, flats the new up. Today we're at, at <laughs> today, today we're at eighty five, eighty six cents. So we can hand over heart. Say anyone who's ever invested in Integra Gold or Integra Resources, um, they're if, breaking even or making if, money. If they're making money as long as as long as kind of it's the Integra management team running the ship. Um, but uh, there's no financings planned in the near future. The best way to do it is just right through the market. So I mean, after your first you know big win with Integra Gold. You probably had a lot of opportunities coming to you. Uh, you guys could have gone to any project anywhere. How do you, you know, how do you choose what to focus on and and where where you thought you could add the most value and probably have the most fulfillment and enjoyment as well? So we really look for like there is no magic, it, um, but it is it's a speculative interest uh, industry. So there's always going to be risk associated. So what you look for is ways to de-risk that. And obviously, one jurisdiction is a huge one. Um, Idaho, the U.S., it's a great jurisdiction to be in. Um, in Quebec or Canada in general, we also have the, the access to, we have access to flow through as well. Um, so these are like Canada, U.S., North America. Like it doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't get better than that. That's the first thing we look at. And then just, it, it seems so obvious, but just expiration potential. Like what is the story here? Mm-hmm. And when you look at this, our, our project is a large, if we, if we lower the cutoff grade, include Florida Mountain, which is the, the deposit we acquired five kilometers away, we're sitting at over three million ounces. So we've got a massive system and, and a large mineralized deposit with very little exploration that's ever taken place just outside of that. And again, going back to it, if, if it's an epithermal system, 30 years ago was the last time a, a real exploration program took place in this, that even the world's understanding of kind of the controls and how these epithermal systems work has evolved quite a bit in the last 30 years. There's all kinds of new technologies and other things we can apply. So what we look for is we just look, what are the advantages that we can bring that, and not to say that they didn't do it right the first time, at gold at $300 an ounce, they shouldn't have been spending money on expiration. But what are, what, looking at that backstory, what are the, what is going to give us the competitive advantage to actually realize success? Um, fortunately, um, looking back at the drill results we put out about two weeks ago, that is starting to come to fruition because we're now, we just hit a hole that was a 500 meter step out um, that was over 100 meters of two and a half gram per ton material. 
And when we look at that, and you look at it in 3D specifically, you can see there's no historic drilling in this area whatsoever. So now this is where, to me, the story actually starts to get really exciting. We don't talk about price of gold or where the market's going or yeah. anything else. That's not something that we can control, and I don't believe we should be trying to predict. But I'd like to think that our company, after that drill hole, is worth a lot more money than it was before. Okay, I'm going to take a departure now. Um, and I want to wrap it up pretty soon uh, and just be respectful of your time because we've been at it for almost an hour now. But there's a lot of um, younger people that listen to these podcasts, uh, guys just starting out, guys and girls just starting out in the industry. Um, if you were just you know trying to get into the mine industry and you had an interest in these new applications of technology and and what can be done, where, where would you start looking? How would you... Um, try to get your foot in the door or build the right um, or become part of the right team environment or find the right mentorship that could help you become part of that again? You know, that's, that's actually a really good question. So I would love to say that you should go to the big companies that have the budgets for this and so on. But yeah. in, in a tough environment, there's just not that many jobs available and any sort of budget that's allocated to technology or R&D and everything else is much smaller than it would be in a different market. So... Normally, I think that's the best. I think right now, to, to back it up about the specific route or, or way to get there, I think you really need to make sure that you, you treat your inexperience as an asset. Not um, when, you, when you go into it, what I've found in this is we spend, as the younger group, we spend a lot of time trying to pretend we know things that, that we don't know. And this is, to me, like nothing... Nothing can ever go against or replace experience, mm -hmm. but to a certain extent, with experience, especially in a transforming industry that needs to evolve with technology, experience can create bias. And don't take this as a, anyone with experience is biased, but I think there's a the real opportunity for the next generation is to identify things that we know because we grew up in the world, and I maybe not me, but even the younger generation behind me, they grew up in the world of iPads and, and a connected workplace and, and all those other things. They're going to see opportunities that kind of your 60 and 70-year-old mining engineer might not see. And that by no means is a criticism of the older generation. It's just looking at what are the competitive advantages that the younger generation has. The best way to find that is, is really just whether you're working for whether it's in academia or working for a company or a consulting group, whoever it may be, just take that attitude into it. And I think you'd be surprised at the amount of low-hanging fruit that continues to be out there in the mining sector. We, we often get painted as, a, as an industry full of dinosaurs, yep. um, which I don't, I don't even know if I entirely agree with, but I, I kind of think who cares? Like if we are the least innovative industry, doesn't that mean we're sort of the most opportunity of any industry that exists to be disrupted by innovation would be mining? Mm -hmm. um, I think just if you take that uh, the approach of that mentality into it, it's actually a very exciting sector to be in. And the beautiful thing is there's so much low-hanging fruit because you don't even need, like, not only has very little technology been invented for the mining industry, very little, like, existing technology has been Completely. applied to the mining industry. So. And, and, and mining is really tough because every mine is different. Yeah. There's, you can have two mines sitting beside each other that are different rock types, completely different processing, mining methods, and so on. So it's not that easy just to come in with a fancy technology that you can use a broad stroke and apply to every mine out there. But within that, again, there is opportunity. You know, you're saying this, um, a lot of things that I agree with, and I've heard a few people 
you know, we talk about the dinosaurs in the industry say, oh, you know, these young guys come in, they're, they're running so much money or they think they're running a company and they're so young. Like, and I've heard people say this, you know, they don't know anything and you don't really, you don't really know what you're doing until you've been at it for 30 years, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I don't agree with that advice personally. And is there any, you know, consistently bad advice that you hear being given to people coming into the industry or, or that you got when you were starting out where the, you know, you're 28 years old and you're pitching your company to a hedge fund manager that's 65. Like, and so that's a really good, qu- I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. Um, so I, I agree with you. I, I, there's, there's something to be said about experience, but I think again, being a younger generation, I don't think, I think, we don't know nearly as much as the person with 30 years experience. Of course. But w- as long as we know what we don't know, we can find ourselves in, a, in still a strong position. Um, I think the worst advice I've ever received, and this isn't just mining, this is life in general, is just that's the way it, it, that's the way it is or just, that's the way it's done. Because to me, there, there, it should never be like that. There's always a new way to approach something. Even if it's been done the same way for years and years, that doesn't mean we shouldn't approach that kind of whatever that task is with a critical mind. And it's not because we're trying to judge or um, critique, overly critique one way of doing things. It's because I just believe that everything in the world, be it mining, whatever it may be, there's always a slightly better way to do it. So I, I think if, I don't know if that's actually advice, but never ever believe that this is just the way it is because this is the way it is, or that's how it's done because it's been done like that for 50 years. That doesn't matter. And within that, there's, I think there's as much opportunity as anywhere. Okay, I don't think we're going to find a better place to leave it than that. Um, is there anything that our audience should know uh, or that you, 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 any requests or recommendations that you'd like to make before we say goodbye? The only thing I, I, I think is, is my objective in a lot of this is like the mining industry does a lot of good things. Yeah. But our reputation as kind of horrible stewards of capital and destroyers of environments or anything isn't completely unfounded either. No. I'm a big believer that uh, in a transparent, accountable world, not one where there's more regulation or oversight, but where everyone has all the facts and you almost crowdsource the, the regulation, I believe that's a world where more people are going to come back to mining. And I think that's going to be a... Uh, I, I don't like to say clean up industry because it it's infers that the, the industry is dirty, but I think that's a much more sustainable industry um and that's really what i what i always am adamant that that people understand especially with verify that verifies business model we're not a service provider trying to squeeze money from companies to pay for tours we're trying to create an ecosystem that everybody will use to interact with our industry and ultimately kind of to communicate what we do to those that aren't traditionally looking at our industry you know that touches on something i've actually been thinking about for the last couple of years now and do you think as mining becomes more transparent, as uh, we make use of you know technologies like Verify or these crowdfunding technologies, do you think there's a shift away from traditional capital markets and, and more into private companies and private investment models? That's that's a really good question. I'm I'm because I kind I think there will be, but it's just that I have an inkling of a feeling. Yeah, I have nothing to prove it with. I, I'm not sure. I, I think. I think if the, the public markets don't find a way to minimize sort of the cowboy mentality of it, I think it would naturally just happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because that's a natural progression of money to a better source or if they're just if, if that money is just sick and tired of kind of the games that we continue to see in, in general capital markets. Um, or Sorry, in the public equity markets. Yes. Um, 
I don't I don't know the answer to that, but I think we started to see it with a, with a few select cases within the mining sector. But that might just be a product of the lack of publicly um, or, or financing that's available in the public equity markets. I think technology is going to drastically change both the industry and how money flows from within the industry. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it could make it more investable. Could make it the public side less investable. I'm not. I'm not sure. Sorry, I'm not giving you a clear answer on this. But and I, I mean, no one, w- no one should have a yeah. clear answer on this. But it, it is something to think about and something I've been completely sort of mulling over recently. All right, Steve. Thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, really enjoyed talking to you, and I'll let you get back to running around Roundup. Okay. Thanks for taking the time. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Resource Insider Podcast. If you're interested in getting access to the biggest deals and best opportunities in the mining and metals industry, go to capitalistexploits.at and sign up for Resource Insider now.